to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. <clears throat> I don't understand why I never get the traveling basket. <clears throat> Every uh, time it goes around, I think, man, I'd sure like to get into that basket. And nobody would give it to us. <clears throat> it wouldn't fit. <laughs> I heard that Brother Don Moran... Wanted to go out and buy a live turkey and put in it and give it to his mother-in-law. <clears throat> so you, oh, give it to me, huh? Oh, I didn't know it was to me. Is that right? I wish I hadn't have told that now. <clears throat> Praise God. Romans, the eighth chapter, verse twenty-eight <clears throat> through thirty-two. <clears throat> and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them, also, them He also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. And you may be seated. <clears throat> this scripture, our passage of scripture, contains so many wonderful things. And of course our pattern here at Calvary Gospel Church is we try by the help of the Lord to use the midweek service as a Bible study that is instructional for the young people downstairs and for the adults upstairs, and we occasionally keep the young people upstairs, and we have just instruction for the whole church. Sunday morning is used primarily for evangelism. That simply means we have a lot of people with us on Sunday morning who are not members of the apostolic faith, and some who do not understand the apostolic faith, and we try to take Time to explain the true meaning of Bible salvation according to the Scriptures. Then on Sunday evening, we just kind of have a hodgepodge of everything. The pastor takes the liberty to just talk to everybody about anything he wants to talk to them about. And that's kind of what I want to do tonight. I baptized a man several years ago, and when he got out of the tank, <clears throat> after receiving the Holy Ghost, he dried himself off, put the towel down on the floor, and stepped on the towel and looked at me and said, Now what do I do? And uh, I said, Well, <clears throat> he said, No, uh, what do I do? What's my responsibilities to the Lord? Kind of startled me, <clears throat> because I didn't have a real quick answer. I mean... There are so many things, you know, that we do to satisfy the Lord. So I said, well, just get into the Bible and study the Bible and so forth. And 
Then he said, do you mean uh, we got Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday evening? He said, now it'll take me a long time to learn the Bible in just three services, especially if you spend most of your time preaching to people who are not members of the assembly. And I got to thinking about what he had said and how true really that is. All of us are interested in seeing people saved. But we're also interested in personal Christian growth. The Apostle Paul said, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And he speaks of the travail that took place when... A soul is born in the world, but he also speaks of another travail that should take place in Christian growth. Growing is not easy. And this is the reason so much emphasis is being placed these days on adolescence. Because that young people enter into the age in which their minds and bodies are maturing, in many cases not equal, they give so much thought to themselves and to what their future holds, and they're constantly changing their minds, that adolescence can be one of the most confused ages that a person can go through. And it is also true that after you receive the Holy Ghost, you can live on the victory cloud for a while. And then you begin to struggle and you begin to grow and you begin to crawl, spiritually speaking. You wean yourself from the bottle and then you go to the meat. And there's such an adjustment because when you begin to bear certain responsibilities... For the Lord, those responsibilities have a way of telling who the real women of God and the real men of God are. Now, <clears throat> I do not believe that there is a devil in hell that's big enough to destroy any child of God who really wants to live for the Lord. And Paul uses a scripture that says, For we know that all things work together for good. It is hard to accept, but everything that happens to me happens for my betterment. Now, you see, the devil may cause it, and he may cause it to, toward evil, but God can make it good. And that was what was said of by Joseph concerning the action taken by his brothers when they sold him to the Midianites that then sold him down into Egypt as a slave. He said, Ye meant it for evil, but God took it for good. And this is such a beautiful thing, because every now and then, some child of God says, The devil is going to destroy me. I say, But he can't. But he is. But he can't. But what if he can't? That's just it. He can't. There are certain limitations that are placed upon the works of iniquity in the world. However, if you do not believe that all things work together for good, 
then naturally when you submit yourself fearfully and doubtfully outside the promises of God into the hands of the adversary, you can and will be destroyed. But as long as your mind is fixed upon the Lord, see, Christianity is the only teaching in the world that states from every bad thing, I mean every bad thing, can, and I underline the word can, doesn't mean does, but can come something good. And it can be good if you allow it to be good. And that is such an important thing. Now you see, <clears throat> this passage of Scripture is dealing with those good things, and then of course it deals with predestination. Now, there, there is a teaching in the world, the religious world, that uh, states that predestination is is uh, a doctrine that that uh, is described as whatever will be, will be, and you can do nothing about it. Well, I understand that basically that's the teaching of it, but please understand the passage of Scripture here is not dealing with individual personalities. It's not dealing with individual predestination. By that I mean... The Bible doesn't say, because John Grant is born John Grant, John Grant, being of evil seed, must die in hell. It's not also saying that Leona Darlene Smith, born of a righteous seed, and being good by nature, will go to heaven because she was born who she is. Now, that's not the teaching of the Scripture. But the scripture is denoting particular categories. To whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. Now, <clears throat> if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the very last chapter found in the Bible, I think that this deals with what we're talking about. <clears throat> and I trust that this will be good for some of you who are here because... You know, there are certain people that just feel that every bad thing happens to them. There, there are certain people that get involved in this real negative kick where they feel that, well, that's just my luck all the time. <clears throat> that's the way it runs in our family. Nothing ever good happens to us. You understand what I'm saying? People can get that way. That is just what the devil wants. And if you ever... Resign to the fact that nothing ever good happens to you, it probably won't. <clears throat> because, you know, if you just kind of lay down and play dead for the devil, and you submit to him, why, he's, uh, he's going to do everything he can to get you into hell. And I can never understand how reborn people, I'm talking about Christians here, can just get this negative thing that, well, everything's going to be bad. Seems like everything I start turns out wrong. And you just have a pity party every day for your poor little soul. And you feel so sorry for yourself. 
that's 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 bad, isn't it? Some people are that way. Now, notice what the scripture says, <clears throat> verse seventeen of Revelation twenty two, and the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him heareth, or let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, the water of life is for who? It's for anybody that desires or anybody that will. You may say, well, what about the predestination? Well, that's exactly what Paul was dealing with. To any man who drinks of the water of life freely, he shall walk on streets of gold and be in the presence of the Lord. See, he's speaking of categories of people to whom he did foreknow. He's talking about the righteous and the unrighteous. And predestination is taught that way in the Scripture. It's like a scheduled flight on an airplane. It's scheduled, let's say, from Minneapolis to Dallas-Fort Worth. See? And so, here you fly this plane. Now, you you can buy a ticket if you want to. But they're going to make the flight whether you get on or not. The church is going to heaven whether you make it or not. It's going to take its flight out of this world whether you're on board or not. When the Bible speaks of the clouds of glory and the Son of Man coming, listen, there's going to be, there's going to be some clouds that's going to catch some of us away. You may say, Brother Grant, are you saying that you're going to be on that cloud? I'm going to do everything I can to get on it. But the Lord also prepared a hell for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25, verse 41, and there are going to be people to go to hell. Now, you can be one of those if you want to be one. But you see, you don't have to take that horrible flight as a leap into outer darkness. You don't have to do that. But the Lord knows that some will, and that's why he made a hell. And he knows that some will go to heaven. That's why he made a heaven. But he says, now the choice is yours. What do you want to do about it? And I think that's so beautiful, isn't it? <clears throat> so beautiful. <clears throat> For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophets of the book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. He's talking about people who didn't make it. And from the things that are written in this book. Now, you see, we can do what we want to with our life. We can be what God wants us to be. And you know, not only that, but because that I'm speaking primarily to a a group of people who have been baptized in Jesus' name. How many of you have been? Raise your hand. All right. And to a group of people who received the Holy Ghost. And how many of you received the Holy Ghost? Praise God. Then, then I want to address some remarks first to you, to you. You know, I am persuaded to believe that God not only wants you filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in His name, but He wants you to be a successful person in this life. 
I really believe that. And the reason why that I've come to that conclusion is because there's so many powerful, positive things in the Scripture that await for you and I. Did you know the Scripture is jammed and packed with positive promises that God says we can have? Well, I started out reading this, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. Number one, all things work together for me. If I love the Lord. Now it says if you love God. Now it doesn't say that all things work together for good to all people. And you hear a lot of people quoting that. Something can happen that's very disastrous. Well, they never thought about living for God. And all of a sudden they say, well, all things work together for good to all people. That's not what the Bible says. To them that love God and are called according to His purpose. And then verse 31, and I think this is a powerful, powerful passage of scripture what shall we then say to these things question mark what are we going to say about all of this if God be for us who can be against us in other words if you're on the Lord's side what in the world could possibly happen to you that wouldn't be good? Now that is a that's a that's in a mouthful. I trust that <coughs> that God knew what he was saying. At least I found it to be that way. I've lived for God a number of years, and you know I've had a lot of bad things to happen to me, and you have too. And I can't say that I've taken and converted all the bad things into good things. I can't say that I have. But there have been many times when I thought that I was going to go down for sure and I had my back to the wall and God began to move and God began to bless and, and my attitude in that particular situation certainly kept me alive. We talked last Thursday evening here as we lay hands on people and prayed for them. We talked about a passage found in the book of Proverbs that says, that the spirit of a man shall sustain him in his infirmities. And that simply means that, that when a man is sick and when he's down and when he's out, what, what causes some people to rise up and have faith in God and believe God? And what causes some people to just lose hope and get right down to where they just, they just can't see that God can do anything? It's the spirit of a man, and the spirit of a man here is dealing with his attitude. When Jesus told the disciples when they were going to call down fire from heaven, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, ye know not what spirit ye are of. And what he's saying is, you don't know what your attitude's all about. That's not a, the correct attitude. Jesus explained the correct attitude of the Christian when he said, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. Now some Christians think they're wolves among sheep. You know, <clears throat> isn't that right? That's not what we are. He's talking about a, a gentle and a meek attitude. I send you forth as sheep among wolves. Be you therefore wise. Let's say that together. Wise as serpents. And harmless. Let's say that. Harmless as doves. Now I never heard of anybody getting killed by a dove. Have you? 
You know, it's just a, a dove just loved you to death. So you died. <clears throat> you know, have you ever heard of that? I have, however, heard of people being killed by serpents. But you see, he just took a particular part of a serpent. And he also took a particular part of a, a dove. Those two adverse creatures being on the opposite poles from each other. And he said, we want to draw part of this creature's life and part of this creature's life. And we want to talk to you about your attitude. Now, this is what he said. He said, you know the wisdom of the serpent. That's what I want you to have. But not to bite people and kill them. Now you look at the gentleness of a dove. I want you to take the wisdom of a serpent and the gentleness of a dove. And this ought to be your attitude. In other words, be smart enough to go after them. But when you find them, don't strike them. Don't kill them. Love them. Be gentle to them. See, and that's the attitude of a Christian that Jesus explained. Now, you and I, <coughs> according to the Scripture, we are God's elect. We are sons of God. Now, it's a beautiful thing to know that we're joint heirs with Christ. Now, the Bible speaks of the, the riches of His glory. Now, if we be joint heirs with Christ, did you know that you and I can someday become full recipients of everything that Jesus Christ will be a recipient of? Now, that just kind of blows my mind. And, and, and yet you see so many Christians, they just get down and out. They, say, they always talk about how Christians have to suffer. We don't know what suffering's all about here in the States. You know, you're, you're kidding yourself. You, you think about, about some of the Christians who are on some of these islands that have been invaded or down in South America or some places in Africa and over in Asia and then up in Russia. I mean, where they're actually beaten and placed in prison. Now, we might be able to talk about suffering then, but, but, but just kin folks who criticize you and people on your job who call you crazy, you know, if you call that suffering, you get down and out about that, you wouldn't last one moment if real suffering came. See? Now, I have always believed that when victory is here, we should ride high on victory and enjoy it. You know, every now and then you, you find some immature person says, I don't want to get my hopes up because I've been disappointed so much. Now that's thinking, thinking for sure. When the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so don't get your hopes up and, and sure enough you won't get a thing. And not only will you not get a thing, but then, you know, because you're not looking for anything, then then nothing ever happens that's real good. I have heard, I have been told by certain individuals, nothing ever happens to me that's real good. You ever heard people say that? 
Just seemed like everything that bad, that's bad in the world always befalls me. You poor little old creature. I mean, that, that's so pitiful, I just want to cry. Isn't that right? Now, I'm speaking to some people tonight that I feel need to hear what I have to say because I have prayed and sought the Lord relative to this message. I believe that God wants His people to be successful. Now, certainly, we're not going after abundant riches. Uh, I would like, however, to point out something found in the Scripture. We covered this before, 2 Corinthians, the the ninth chapter, and I teach this in Christian stewardship, but but um, it might be just good for us to, to cover some of these things. <coughs> Second Corinthians nine. <coughs> but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Isn't that great? Now the scripture says that, if, you know, if you want a big harvest, you've got to sow a lot of seed. You know, you can't take your seed and cut them in half and spread them over twice the area and think you're going to get a big crop. <clears throat> Does it work that way? Brother Thorpe, Brother Thorpe works out at, at Rink Seed Company. You can't take a kernel of corn and cut it four ways and broadcast it over a fourth, I mean four times as much area and expect it to come over. No, you take the four kernels and you take a lot of them and you put them in the ground. And the corn you get will be in direct proportion to how many seed you put in the ground. If you were to call up at Rink Seed Company and said, I'm planting 25 acres of corn, how much seed do I need? They could tell you right away how many seeds you need. And they would tell you how many seed you need because they feel that you're interested in getting the maximum production out of it. They wouldn't tell you, well, do you want 100 bushels per acre? You want 125? You want 150? You want 175? You want 200? What do you want? I don't think they deal with you like that. They think that, hey, if he's going to be farming, he's smart enough to go after the maximum. Some Christians sow very thin crops because they just don't expect much. True? I mean, they literally don't expect much. Now, notice what verse 7 says. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, or of a necessity. And I have told this to you people many times, when it comes to offerings... You know, I, I don't stand up here very many times and say, I want everybody to give a 20 or I want everybody to give a 10. Now, my particular feeling about it is, if you can give a dollar and be happy, you're a whole lot better off to give a dollar and be happy to give 20 and go home and cry about it. Because the truth of the matter is, I think if you give 20 
and you go home and cry about it, you just kiss $20 goodbye that you'll never see again. If you can give a dollar and be cheerful, you'll see that one plus many more. But God loveth a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful here, taken out of the Greek, means hilarious. Have you ever seen anybody get hilarious? <clears throat> Who'd you say, Brother Bill? Anybody read Brother Bill, Bill's lips? Now, we've had some things around here in, in which uh, uh, things have really gotten hilarious. We've had, uh, we've had banquets and, and things, and, and uh, we just recently had a minister's banquet in our fall planning session, and Brother Aaron was in charge of it. Anything Brother Aaron's in charge of can go almost any way. <clears throat> and our hearts were so happy and so open and... And we were just so receptive, and, and we laughed and laughed and held our stomachs and laughed. I remember one time that Brother Hightower was preaching for us, and we got home one night, and uh, I got to talking at the table, and I, I, I told something that's real funny, and he literally got down in the floor and held his side and laughed and rolled over on his side, and, and he got back up, and he took a napkin and took his, took his uh, pen out, and he, he wanted to copy it down word for word what I had said. <laughs> Now, that's what you call getting hilarious. I mean, he was rolling and, and holding his stomach and laughing. He said, he told me next day, he said, I have a stomachache, really. He said, all through my stomach, it's sore. I laughed so hard last evening. And the Bible says God wants a hilarious giver. Somebody that can just take all the seed they can possibly get and sow them and be hilarious about it. <clears throat> Uh, you may occasionally find farmers who would complain about buying corn, but can you feature a farmer taking out, like, let's say, uh, three bushels of, uh, of, of corn, shelled corn, and planting it and going home and, and saying, oh, my, you know, that, that corn, it's going to rot in the ground. It's, it's, I'm going to go back there, out there a few days from now, and I'm going to dig it up, and after the rain, and, and the kernel's going to be separating, and it's, gonna, it's, it's, it's rotting, it's swelling up, it's, it's decaying, and... Oh, my, I, I tell you, that, that's terrible. No, he knows the process. Jesus said, except the kernel of corn or wheat fall in the ground and die, that abideth alone. And, and what Paul is saying, that, that what you receive, if you, if you give it hilariously and not of a, a, a grudging uh, spirit and such, uh, what's going to happen? He said, you're going to get it back. And it's going to be in direct proportion to, to, how you, to how you give and how much you give. God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things. You see, God has purposely provided a plan in the Scripture in which the child of God who walks with God will never have need of anything. Can you believe that? You may say, well, why do Christians always have needs? Well, I think there is a difference between wants and needs. A lot of us are deep in debt simply because we want things. 
some of those things are helpful to us and some are not so helpful. I, like, I never like to see people get head over heels in debt. In America, you know, you can borrow a whole lot more money than you pay back. And usually, big incomes mean big problems and a lot of misery. Small incomes in America usually mean small problems and small misery. The only difference between the rich and the poor here in the States is one thing. It is determined by the quantity of their miseries. That's usually the, the, the difference. But the Bible says that God wants to, God wants to, to help you and He wants to, to minister to you and He wants to bless you and He wants to keep His hand upon you. Now, if you look back at 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, verse 9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, and ye through His poverty might be rich. Now, I know that a lot of people say, well, that's just talking about, you know, rich in salvation. Well, I understand that we're rich in salvation. The Bible tells us that. And listen, riches is not money altogether. But we look at the context in which he was, re which he was writing. You see, the Bible says the foxes, speaking of Jesus, have their holes and the birds their nests, but the Son of Man no place to lay his head. And you see, Christians, when they come to God, they have become willing to give up. Or I say willing, they become willing. They literally give up at the altar everything that belongs to them. This is what Christian stewardship is all about. And if you are not willing to give up everything at the altar, then you can be none of His. You can not, C-A-N-N-O-T, no loopholes, you cannot be my disciple. Isn't that what Jesus said? You've got to forsake houses and lands. And he goes on down and speak of father and mother and, and brothers and sisters and, and so forth. And even hate your own life, he says. You mean I'm supposed to hate my own life? Your life of sin and your life of iniquity? You get sick of it. That's why you come to him. And every now and then, you know, somebody will stand up and testify and say, Well, the Lord's moving upon me, and if He wants me to move off someplace, I'll be willing to give up my home. Friend, that's not your home to start with. You gave it up when you accepted the challenge of being His disciple. And the reason why that Christians struggle sometimes with earthly possessions is because the things they gave up the altar, they go back and take them back again. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm driving a nice automobile. Who's it belong to? It belongs to the Lord. Now, you may say, that sounds like a real cheat. Well, I tell you the truth. I remember one that I drove. It belonged to me. And it wasn't quite that nice. And I'm living in a real nice home. And who's it belong to? It belongs to God. I can assure you I've lived in some that belonged to me and they weren't that nice. It's so good to be just free of all the worries. You see, when you came down to the altar 
And when you gave your heart to God, you really did turn everything over to Jesus. In our Christian stewardship classes, I cover this. But for the sake of some of you new ones, let me cover it again. And for you who have heard this several times, I know it may sound like an old story, but we need to hear some things over and over. Really, when I came to the Lord, this is what happened. This is what happened when you came to God. Now, when you come to God, Jesus said, except you repent, Luke 3.13, ye shall all likewise perish. But isn't it strange that when people come and they start repenting, that there's something that really takes place at the altar that seems to have little or nothing to do with repentance. Repentance is the turning away from sin and iniquity. While I do not believe that repentance is spiritual perfection, it definitely is laying aside every sin that you know that you are committing. If you're bound by evil habits and such, it's laying them aside and saying, Lord, I'm not going to be bound by these things. Now, any man who's not willing to repent can't walk after the Lord. I mean, why even come to God if you want all those old dirty things anyway? See? That's like a man who comes in and gives himself to the Lord, and then he's still worldly. Or a woman who gives her heart to God, and she's still worldly. If you want the world, kiss the church goodbye. I mean, what do you want it for anyway? Just a place to marry? To have your kids dedicated and... And a preacher to bury you when you die? You know, you hear the old story. That preacher really preached him into heaven. Listen, there's not a preacher on the face of this earth can get you into heaven. He may tell everybody you're going, but when you seal your lips in death and you draw your last breath and close your eyes, friend, it's between you and God and there's not a preacher on the face of the earth that's powerful enough to get you into heaven. I don't care what he says over your casket. That's just the way it is. And so when you give your heart to God, you you should be willing to give up all sin and all of iniquity. Because that's why you're in the predicament you're in. And that's why you need God. And that's why you realize you need God. It's because of sin. But another strange thing happens at the altar when you begin to repent. All of a sudden, you begin to make promises to God. Promises that go something like this. Lord, I'll go any place you want me to go. Now tell me, what's that got to do with saying, God, forgive me of my sin? Seems to hardly have any connection at all. And then you say, Lord, I'll say anything you want me to say. Now let me just take a poll here. How many of you... When you repented and you prayed for the Holy Ghost, how many of you asked God to forgive you of your sins? All of you did. Now, how many of you then began to promise God that you'd do anything that He wants you to do? Look at the hands going up. I'll say anything you want me to say. What's that got to do with repentance? You see, Isaiah put it like this. He said, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And you see, when you come to God at an altar, not only are you there asking God to forgive you, but there's a reasoning that takes place at the altar. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Now God says, when you come... 
with your laden, burdened, sinful heart. I want to reason with you while you're there. And so he begins to reason with the man whose heart is full of sin and iniquity. Now, the reason goes similar to this. You surrender your heart to the Lord, and while you're praying and asking to forgive you of all your sins, you're saying, Lord, I'm a wretched, miserable, black sinner. My heart is full of iniquity. I'm dirty and rotten and low down, and I need to be cleansed and made clean and whole. God, forgive me. My horrible, dark life, I want it to become light. Basically what you're saying, Lord, my life is in a mess. I've really made a mess of things. And my my heart is dark like the tunnel that has no end. It's like a cave. It's blackened inside and there's no light there. And it seems like everything I do is wrong. I used to think that way before I came to the Lord. I have no reason to think that way anymore. Why? Because I've turned my life over to the Lord. And the reason that takes place, God says, Oh, so you made a mess of your life. Yes, God, I, I have really made a mess of my life, you know. I, I just want you to help me, God. You, you've got to help me get out of all of this problem and all these troubles that I'm in and and God says, oh, uh, let's talk about your life for a while. He said, yes, Lord, you know, uh, my wife, oh, you got a wife. Well, sure, I have a wife. I'd like for you to go get the marriage license. And so, in the spirit, you know, you go to the file cabinet and you open it up to L, license, marriage. You pull it out. Here's my marriage license. But Lord, if I have to give up my my wife, uh, what what am I going to do about the children? You know, it's going to be oh, you got children, huh? Yeah. Well, go back to your file cabinet and get out the birth certificates. And so you go and you find the the birth certificates of those two precious children, and you bring them and and you lay those before the Lord. Then you say, but Lord, it's going to get lonesome around my house. Oh, you have a house, huh? Yes, Lord, i got a house. Well, go down to the courthouse and get the deed that's on record and bring it to me and let's change ownerships. And so you take it down and you go down and you come back and the ownership then is transferred to the Lord. He owns it. But God, if if I don't have a house, uh, what am I what am I going to do, Lord? I, I, I'm in my, my, my garage and and, and my and my car. Oh, you got a car, huh? Well, yes, Lord. Uh, I have to. Sure, I got to get around and such. Oh, uh, well, bring the title of your car. And so, he changes the title of your car. And but but Lord, if I uh, in no house and no car, how in the world am I going to pull my boat and motor? Oh, you got a boat and motor, huh? Yeah, well, go down and get the title to your boat and motor and bring it in. And so he takes that. But Lord, my, I meant you know, no house and no family and no boat and motor and no car. And my, what am I going to do with all my clothes? Oh, you got clothes, huh? 
I'm going to put something in here. Free. No charge. You know the reason why a lot of Christians struggle with dress codes? Because they don't turn their wardrobes over to Jesus. See, they're accentuating the wrong things. So, the wardrobe is turned over, but Lord, I mean, now I don't have anything, and you know, I got to go down to work tomorrow, and oh, you got a job, huh? Well, well yes, Lord, I, I got a job. If I didn't have a job, I, I mean, what about my paycheck? Oh, you get paychecks, huh? Well, sure. Were well, you going to turn those checks over to me? Well, yeah, but Lord, I can't live long off my savings. Oh, you got savings, huh? Well, yeah, well, bring your passbook in and you got it laying there. But God, my, I don't have a thing, Lord. And you see, that's the reasoning that took place at the altar. That's why you said, Lord, I will go any place you want me to go. I will do anything that you want me to do, and I will say anything that you want me to say. Why did you do that? Because you see, you surrendered everything, even your own life, at the altar. Now, the Lord takes everything that you've given up, and He gives it back to you to manage, providing... That what you have given up will be complementary to the Christian cause. You see, a lot of people give up certain things that's not complementary. And so God then says, we're going to discard this. I mean, you throw all of your old worldly, lustful magazines away, and all your rotten music away. See? And take all... God and your children are dedicated from to me now, and you are only a steward over them. Everything that, but if you will manage it wisely, as I give you direction, you will never have one need in this present world that will go unsupplied, because I will see that everything is taken care of, and I'll give you a better lifestyle than you've ever had before. Simply because that you gave it all up to me. Now see, there was a man in the Bible who was called a rich young ruler, and when he came to the Lord, friend, he came running. Now evidently, you know, he was sincere. He came running, he, he slid in at the feet of Jesus and stopped there and said, Good Master, we know that the heart of teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? There is none good save God. He said, Master, what much I do to inherit eternal life. Jesus quoted a part of the Old Testament law. He stood up and dusted himself off, and he said, But Lord, all of these things I have done from my youth up. And Jesus then said, Will you go and sell everything you have, and you give it to the poor. And you shall inherit eternal life. And the Bible says, 
he went away sadly because his possessions were great. In other words, he refused to give them up. And do you know, listen to me, brothers and sisters, every one of you, and I don't know why I'm preaching this, but every last one of you who sit under the sound of my voice tonight, you surrendered it all to serve him. But now you're on a winning team. And there is not one place in the scripture that tells me that if you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and you live for him the way you ought to live for him, that there is any devil in hell or force in this world that's powerful enough to destroy you. I want to go through some of these with you. I, I just get so excited about, about some of these. You know, when Israel came out of Egypt, the Bible tells us in Exodus 14, 14, and also in Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, the Bible says that the Lord told them that he would fight their battles for them. And you see, he did do that as long as they trusted in him. As long as they kept their eyes on him. Now they got down to Kadesh Barnea and they saw all those walled cities and all those giants over there. And, 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 and they lost hope. In fact, the Bible tells us that they fell down upon their faces. And, and they said, he brought us out here to die. Exodus 32.12 speaks of this. And also Judges 6.13 speaks of this after they got in the promised land. He brought us over here to die. No, God didn't bring them over there to die. He brought them over there for the best lifestyle they'd ever had before. Now I want to finish my passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. Jesus Christ became poor that you might be rich. And herein I, have, I give my advice... For this is expedient to you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Or forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the, the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Now, let's go ahead and read then verse 13. But by an equality that uh, now is this time your abundance may be a supply for their want. That their abundance also may be a supply of your want. That there may be an equality. Now what Jesus is saying here through the Apostle Paul. He's saying that, that because that God cares for you. He said, uh, there should be no lack among the body of Christ. You know, God will bless one man because sometimes somebody else is going to go through a trial. And, and the whole process that in which we are evolving in this life is getting ready for life eternal. And God is, is testing us and He's allowing us to be tried. Not about that which we're not able to bear. That's not it at all. For the Bible promises us that He will not put anything upon us that we can not bear. So when we're under a, a trial or when tribulation comes our way, we, with the right attitude and the right frame of mind, when we're really suffering great like we feel nobody else has ever suffered, of which is not right because 
The Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. If you think you've test, you're tested and tempted above anybody else, he said, that's not right. Uh, you're just, you know, that's a figment of your imagination. But, but what we should do when we really think we're under the fire, so to speak, from the devil, we should count it as a compliment from God. Because he said, I will not put anything upon you that you're not able to bear. So the greater the trial, the greater the compliment. And the greatest compliment you can possibly give God is when this, these troubles and trials are coming your way, is to just lift your hands toward heaven and say, God, I trust you. I believe you. And God purposely blesses me at times so I can help you and He purposely blesses you at times so you can help somebody else and He blesses somebody else so they can bless somebody else. And this seems to be the method in which Jesus works. Well, I've heard a lot of people say, but I work hard for everything I have. I'm certainly not going to give it away. Friend, you don't own it anyway. And the trouble with the prodigal son was, he went to his father and he said, Give me the portion of goods that belongeth to me. He decided that he could manage his life separate and apart from the father's direction and outside of the father's household. And he found out that when he got out in the pig pen of life, friend, that things don't last very long. (laughs) And so the Bible, Paul is saying, You know what? God became poor that you might be rich. And He wants to bless you abundantly. And the equality that's found in the body of Christ is this, that God gives you great abundance at times just so you can help somebody else that doesn't have much. And then somebody else is going to come right. And they're going to be blessed as a result of of winning that test and that trial and going through that tribulation. And you're going to go through years. and, And when you do, somebody's going to come up and they're going to put something in your hand or something in your car one of these days that's going to cause you to know that there is a God in heaven that loves and cares for you. And I think one of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian faith is sharing. I really do. I think it's just great. You know what the, you know what the Bible says? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that's pretty hard for some people to understand because they know what it's like to receive. Oh, I remember when the tree was all trimmed when I was a kid and everything was there and, and, and <coughs> mother and dad had my, my gift all wrapped up and, and they would take me in the living room and I'd see that tree and, and all of a sudden, you know, they'd say, okay, you can open your gifts and, and, and of course we'd sit down and They'd pass all those gifts out, and and we'd sit there. And I remember a little red uh, wagon and wheelbarrow that I got one Christmas, and they looked they looked so monstrous underneath that little old tree, and and they pulled it out and put it there, and and uh, then all of a sudden they said, "Okay, kids, you can open your gifts." And I mean to tell you, arms went one way, and and uh, you know legs went another way, and paper went one way, and and ribbon went another way, and. Boy, I snatched out that little red wagon and a wheelbarrow, and, and I still remember that. I, man, you talk about a feeling inside of me. I felt like I owned the world. I could take my little wagon and my wheelbarrow, and I could move more dirt than a bulldozer. 
I mean to tell you, I had a, there was a feeling inside of me. But you see, what Paul says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When Christians learn the blessing of giving, it's greater than the blessings of getting. And you can test a Christian's maturity by how willing he is to give. Giving's been great here at Calvary Gospel Church. I have no complaints. <coughs> it has been great. But you know, I think one of the most comforting things in the world is to be in the body of Christ. You know why? Because this body is predestined to go to heaven. This church is going up. It's not going down. I say this church is going up. It's not going down. This church is going up. It's not going down. Praise God. David said in Psalm 37, verse 23 through 25, and let's just turn there and read. I think it's just such a beautiful passage of Scripture. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man. Praise God. Isn't that something? God watches over every step that you take. Now, I realize that when he speaks of the steps of a good man, it's talking about the way, the path in which he walks. You know, you know the angels of God protect uh, Christians. Isn't that right, Brother Johnson? Now, I'm not for sure, you know, I came from Texas up here, and, and uh, <clears throat> I like to use my imagination a lot, you know, and I, when I got up here, I just felt something different. You know, I don't know if these angels, you know, uh, I don't know if it's one-on-one defense or zone defense. I've been trying to figure that out, because it seems like when I got up here, things were different, you know. You know, I think there weren't a whole lot of Christians up here, and yet the angels were up here, and so... The Lord just said, you know, we're just going to kind of play zone defense. And when I got up here, there was just so many angels up here that there weren't a whole lot of bad things could happen to me. Now, <laughs> that may sound crazy, you know. <clears throat> but I really do, I really do believe, seriously speaking now, that God directs your paths. And the angels of the Lord encamp around about those that love Him and fear Him. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And He delighteth in His way. Though He fall, yet shall not be utterly cast down. Isn't that something? For the Lord upholdeth him with His hand. Now, not be utterly cast down. Now, this is falling. Oh, I fell. But that's not cast down. Have you ever seen a boxer hit someone? And you see, he lays one right on the jaw, and the head's the first thing who hits, that hits the floor. And his feet are the last thing that hit the floor. I mean, he falls all the way down. That's cast down. That's knocked down. Though he fall, 
he shall not be knocked out. Why? Because the man who's refereeing is going to hold your hand. See? That's what he's saying. He's not going to let you be knocked out. <laughs> you think that makes me feel good? <laughs> you know what? Some of you are going through trials not right now. You know what you need to do? You just need to get down on your knees and you need to just laugh in the Spirit. You know, occasionally, really, I get down in the dumps. We all do. But I'll tell you, one of the great experiences of my whole Christian life is, is when I've gotten down in the presence of the Lord. And all of a sudden, as I began to pray and the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, I began to laugh. <laughs> Glory, praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, glory, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I'm going through a trial right now. Thank you, Jesus, for tribulation. Thank you, Jesus, for trouble. Thank you, Jesus, for having confidence in me. Thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to put me through the test. Thank you, oh God, for keeping your hand upon me. I'm knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. For you're holding my hand up. And my steps are directed by the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I have been young, David said, and I am old. He thought about his young days. When he was in his father's house, and he thought about leaving his father's house and leaving the farm, and he became a king. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I think that's just fantastic. Let me show you a success formula found in the Bible. Turn with me to <clears throat> to uh, uh, Second uh, Second Peter. Pardon me. Oh. Oh, listen to this. Verse 4. Whereby are given, chapter 1, 2 Peter, unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, given all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Now you notice this Christian growing experience, it's painful sometimes. And to temperance, and to knowledge, pardon me, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love or charity. See what's happening here? The individual's growing. He's adding. He's maturing. Responsibilities are placed upon his shoulder. He's taking them well. He's going through the fire. 
He's going through the test. But he's ever growing into the full stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's talking about a man who gave it all up to the altar and he went back and he got selfish and he got stingy. And all of a sudden he decided, there's no Christian in the world that's going to get anything out of my hand. I work hard for what I have and if he wants it, let him work hard. No preacher's going to tell me where to spend my money or how to spend it and so forth and so on. It's the general attitude of the Christian and not a submissive attitude in the hands of the Lord. The Bible says he has forgotten about where he came from. You won't give it to a preacher, but you'd give it to a bartender. You won't give it to a godly widow across town, but you'd give it to a prostitute on a corner. See, that's what he's saying. Oh, shakarandalomohutai. Praise God. That's what he's saying. You forgot where you came from. Verse 10, Wherefore the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. I want to be on that plane, friend. That glory bound flight. Hallelujah. And if you do these things, ye shall never Fall. Now fall here means knocked out. That simply means taken away from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Hebrews 6 talks about. Verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that is a formula of success and it's predicated upon constant Christian growth and development isn't that wonderful you know I tell you I think one of the most blessed things that we have in our church are the aged sisters and brothers of our congregation and I'll tell you the reason why that these aged people are so beautiful Sister Luke just had her 90th birthday. Grandma Davis is 87. Sister Ella Ray, we just baptized her, and she was filled with the Holy Ghost 85 years of age. Sister Rowe is 70-something. Okay? Sister Bryant is in her 70s. You know. Just We just have so many. Sister Carnes... How old are you, Sister Carnes? Seventy-six. You see, what happens when you live for God, you will notice in the book of Revelation, when the judgment day came, there was a seal placed upon the lives of people. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And the Christian who walks with God diligently and, and conscientiously, they get older and older and older, 
And they get sweeter and 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 sweeter, growing as Jesus Christ is blessing them abundantly. Praise God. And I think one of the most blessed things you can have in your congregation are brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in the gospel who set perfect examples for young men and and, and women to live for God. It's a great thing indeed. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Now, in closing, I'd like for you to stand right now if you would. And I want to just read Romans 8. <clears throat> now, we have a group here called Pentecostal Conquerors. That's our young people's group. And then we have a group on campus called conquerors for Christ. <clears throat> now notice what Paul says concerning the security of the believer. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Question mark. Shall tribulation shall distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, as it is written, for thy sake they are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Notice what he talks about. Let's go back over that. Shall tribulation? What is tribulation? What do you think of when you think of tribulation? Somebody tell me out here. What do you think of? Andy, what do you think of? Just plain old suffering. Just plain old suffering. Our distress. What's distress? Sister Luke, what's distress? It's just the opposite of joy. It's... It, it, it's, it's kind of a mental situation that takes away all joy and peace. All right, let's go on. Persecution. What's persecution? Have you ever had somebody look at you right in the eye and say, You mean to tell me you're a holy ruler? I've had people to say that. I'd say, Well, yes, I, I guess I am. <laughs> I used to know some holy rollers used to live with. Those are the craziest people I ever saw. <laughs> You're not a holy roller, are you for sure? Yes, I for sure am. <clears throat> okay, Sister Lou. That's right. Yeah, okay. There you go. <clears throat> Isn't that great? Do you hear what she said? You see, God is holy, so no one should object to being holy. And a roller or something makes things smooth. So we can be holy rollers. John the Baptist would take all the mountains and bring them down, and all the valleys and bring them, and all the crooked roads and make them straight. He led men to Jesus. 
or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. You know what a man told me one time? Called me up on the phone. Told me he had a deer rifle. He was mad because we baptized his girlfriend and she was a living girlfriend. She said, I'm not going to go back to that situation. So she wanted me to call him and talk to him. And I called him. He got so irate. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm loading my 30 odd 6 up right now and I'm making a trip to Madison. I said, are you serious? He said, you better believe I'm serious. And I'll find you. I said, well, I'm in my office at 3511 Milwaukee Street. That's just off of Highway 51. Okay. And by the way, when you get here, if I'm not here, I live at 1018 Felon Road. My telephone number is 249-0251. He said, you're talking mighty big, preacher. I said, listen, I started out living for God 20-something years ago. And my purpose in living for God is to wait for the day in which I will die. And if you think a 30 out 6 and threatening me with death is a real threat. you got another thing coming, man. You don't threaten Christians with death. That's why they're doing what they're doing. Because they want to go and be with Jesus. For me to die, Paul said, is gain. For me to live is Christ Jesus. He said, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. So what shall separate us from the love of Christ? The sword? No. And as, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now in all things we are conquerors through him that loved us. It doesn't read that way. It says we are more than conquerors. Not just Pentecostal conquerors. Not just conquerors for Christ. But more than conquerors. Now that just blows my mind. Can you believe that? My last verse, I know you've been standing here, but I tell you, I just feel that God would like for me to just read this, 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 this verse. Such a great verse of Scripture. I end up quoting this a lot when I am praying. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly above all that we ask. You know, you can pray for a lot of things, can't you? Can you possibly, right now, just just close your eyes and think of all of your needs right now. Now, if you need a job, you can think of that, can't you? Can't you? 
If, if you need food, you can think of food. If you have a healing in your body, you can think of a miracle. If you need a new car, you can think of a car. If you feel that God is moving on you to buy a new home, you can think of a home. Now the Bible says he's able to do that. But the Bible says he's also able to do exceeding abundantly and above all that you're able to ask or even think. I mean, when, you, when your vocabulary fails you and you can't even think, he's able to do above that. You think you're going to get me to switch sides? <laughs> you got to be kidding. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding. You think you're going to make me lose trust in God? You've got to be kidding. You think I want to go back to the world? Friend, you got rocks in your head. Oh, no, not when I'm serving a God like that. <laughs> Let's lift our hands and just thank Him. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You know what? I want you to be seated. I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes right now as you're seated. I want you to put your mind on some loved one that you'd like to see saved. I want you to see your family that's lost. See, the holiday Thanksgiving season is coming up and many of you will be with your loved ones. Can God save them? Why not? Can God use you? Why not? Can God anoint you? Why not? Will He go with you on your trip? Why not? Will He sit at that Thanksgiving table with you? Why not? Will He open the door for you to talk? Why not? You mean I can see Him in the tank someday, Brother Grant? Why not? You mean I can see Him at the altar speaking in tongues someday? Why not? And as you begin to pray and put your mind on those lost loved ones, we're going to let you think about this for a moment as Sister Sue sings a beautiful old, old hymn. Oh, I am coming home. Coming home. You're the instrument that God's going to use. To take them to heaven. I'm coming home. 
Once I thought the grass was greener on the other side. So I took my share and I said goodbye to my family as they cried. I spent all my money and lost all my friends. Then it seemed I heard my father call, come back home again. And there is just no place like home.